I might actually get the opportunity to see the peregrine falcon fly for the first time. So imagine seeing that beginning of that journey that they're on. That's something. It's beautiful. Oh, he's... Uh, wow. Look, look, he's... Oh, there wow. you go, he's flying. He's flying. Wow. Look how confident it is quite yeah. already. He's been flying just a one week. And now he's, he's playing with the wind, so he's going to go back up. Wow. Now he's just going to go and play with mum. So oh. now he's going to play chase with mum. Oh, wow. I'm in amazement. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kosio, and this is Get Burden. We want to inspire you to look up to the skies and watch the birds flying above. This series is supported by Canada Water and today's episode is all about parenting and raising babies. But not just for birds, for humans too. Bird babies in most species hatch out pink, naked, eyes closed, not even able to feed themselves and need constant parental care all the time. Human babies, very similar. Do you like being out in nature? Most of the time. Most of the time? <laughs> Why most of the time? Only when I don't fall in rivers. <laughs> but first, there's someone special I'd like you to meet. So this is Zuri, who is currently teething. <laughs> and he's really curious. I'm becoming quite talkative now. He's a quite a happy baby, I'd say. <laughs> He's quite funny as well, I must say. And... Oh, a little robin. Look. Look. He was actually in my womb for 10 months. And he's only been outside of my room for seven months. <laughs> so I suppose my journey with him has made me understand life in a different way. I've now developed, or maybe I always had it within me, a new sense of self, but also the world around me. My journey so far as a parent has really been humbling. They often speak about, you know, the newborn stage of the long nights and the crying, but... The smiles, the laughing, the progress, the moments that you kind of have with your child, watching them do their first things, that's what makes it really rewarding. But it can be scary too, being a parent because you don't want your child to experience the things that you've experienced that may have caused you pain. That's what makes it a bit scary because you're not in control of that and your child is gonna feel some sort of pain. Pain is a part of growth. So I guess, yeah, that's the scary part of parenthood. 
parenthood allows you to look at the world differently because you start to notice that there's a lot of other parents out there. Plant parents, bird parents, tree parents. Like, it's not just human beings that are parents. There's so many different types of parents and it then makes you even observe that in a different way. I'm on the way to see some nesting falcons, which is really exciting because I'd never would have thought that I'd be able to see raptures in London. Hi, Hi. are you Natalie? I am Natalie indeed, yes. Oh. And it's just been absolute mayhem. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. My name is Natalie Mayeux. And uh, I've been uh, monitoring the uh, peregrine falcon at Charing Cross Hospital since the first one arrived in October 2007. Yes, they've wow. been here that long. Yeah, and uh, they um, they bred successfully for the first time in 2011. And actually, if you look above, you've got two. Oh, wow! Okay, so one is doing stationary flight, hovering, and. Uh, I think this one is the mum and this one is the dad. Okay. And uh, I think they are definitely uh, looking for, um, for their youngster. Mum and dad on the look. Okay, and you're going to uh, get what we're calling a peregrine neck, which is you're spending so much time like this that your neck starts to hurt and you also fall backwards. <laughs> But I'm so fascinated that I'm not even thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a hospital there? Yes, that is a hospital. And uh, they nest on top of the hospital. You can see we've got a nest box. And the nest box, there's some gravel. And that is where they're uh, they're nesting. Oh, wow. And that's where uh, the um, youngster took his first flight. And it's been a, a bit of a journey for him already. So uh, how do you know so it's a male as well? Uh, because there's a size difference uh, with peregrines. So the female is much bigger than, than the male. So she's about a third bigger. So we go and ring the uh, the chicks. And when we ring the chicks, we weigh them. He was perfect size for a male. So we call him P6T because that's the, uh, the code on his ring. Okay, so being ringed. What, what does that mean? Why do people ring birds? That is so we know what happens to them afterwards and so we know where they go to because the, uh, the mother here, she's from the Netherlands. Oh, Because wow. we know that because she's, she's got a ring. Peregrines almost went extinct in the uh, 60s, 70s and they uh, made a remarkable comeback. So now we've got, well, the last census, I think there were about 1,400 pairs in the UK uh, but you know it's fragile so we need to know what's happening to all the birds and where they disperse to and also um, a lot of youngsters uh, don't reach their first birthday Wow! Uh, only one in four will reach their first birthday it is really really tough being a young peregrine why is that then? being a top predator they need to um, you know find food and uh, It can be actually quite difficult. You know, you may think, oh, I'm the fastest animal on the planet. 
it actually is a lot of skill. They really have to learn how to stop because when they go that fast, they need to be able to apply the brakes. <laughs> uh, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of them do, do miss just that and they ended up colliding with buildings. Oh. That is one issue. And the other one is, uh, yeah, they, they can't find food and then they, um, they starve. Have they been regularly nesting here? They've been nesting either successfully or tried to nest uh, every year. The first time they tried, that was not successful in 2010. And uh, this is when, uh, with the hospital, um, it was decided to uh, put a nest box and, uh, and some cameras so we could monitor without, without disturbing them. Oh, he's... Uh, wow. Look, look, he's... Oh, there you wow, go, he's flying. He's flying. <laughs> and, and if you, that is you so can cute. hear him call. Yes. My, my eyes are watering a bit. <laughs> wow. And that is him. And Dad's coming over. Yeah, Dad's coming <laughs> And that is him a bit lower down. Yeah. Trying to uh, get some lift. Okay, look at that speed. Wow. He's managed to find the wind. Yeah, you can feel your heart. <laughs> Breathtaking. You know, they'll easily do 120 miles an hour, uh, you know, doing a stoop uh, here, you know, routinely. And now he's going to attack Dad. <laughs> so there's a lot of playing involved. It looks like it. And how does he learn how to get food? Partially by doing those games with, uh, with Mum and Dad. But the, f the next stage is they take a little bit of food in their talons and they drop it to him in the air. Oh. So he has to catch it in the air. So he has to learn how to grab something while flying. And then he has to learn how to fly with something. And then they need to learn how to land with something in their talons. Mm. When they leave the nest, they tend to know how to fly. Just flapping your wing is not really too difficult. Then you need, a, you know, you need the stamina and the muscles. But the, um, the landing is actually a lot more skill. So uh, what we often have is they, yeah, they fly nicely and then poof, they crash onto, uh, onto stuff rather than proper nice landing. And once they've done this, they probably uh, uh, will graduate to slightly bigger prey and then they'll go and do their first kill. But uh, they'll have the instinct you know, very, very quickly. So um, you, you can see... From time to time, you'll notice there are some pigeons on the building. So he'll go and try and attack them. Wow. At only one week of learning how to fly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's something. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very, very fast learners, yeah. But they have to because there were six weeks before they, they take their first flight. It's actually another six weeks before they usually are independent and they can leave home. Wow. Only 12 weeks and leaving home. From egg to a killing machine, yeah. For me, it's so, so vital and important that Zuri has a connection with nature, especially as I didn't necessarily get that opportunity to have that relationship that he's already developing with nature. He loves going outside. I always take him on walks and a lot of the time wants to get out 
of his buggy, for instance, because he wants to be on the floor, he wants to touch the plants, he wants to put them in his mouth too. For me, that's really important for his development and the sensory element of nature too. The bird songs, the plants, the trees, the atmosphere. It's all essential, I feel like, for him to have a better understanding of himself and the world around him, especially the natural world. Now already, he, he loves getting outdoors and he's so curious. He's a little explorer, I see. Can you hear that bird, Jack? Yeah. Do you know what it is? Yeah, a blackbird. Clucking, isn't it? Do you like being out in nature? Most of the time. Most of the time? <laughs> Why most of the time? Only when I don't fall in rivers. <laughs> do you do that a lot? Hi, I am Charlie Bingham. I am a nature and travel writer and a podcaster and a birder and complete nature nerd. I have two kids. Their names are Jack and George and they are seven and six. Walking and looking at nature. I really think that there is a place for technology in nature. And I know myself, not just my kids, but myself, I am addicted to these ID apps for plants, for birds, for bird sounds. And that is just such a simple and free way that is accessible to, you know, anyone who's got a smartphone, you can download these apps for free and you can take them out with you. And you've got all this knowledge and information at your fingertips. I think they are fantastic for engaging kids because it gives them a purpose it's almost a little bit like you know like the old pokemon go and it really just gets them engaged and excited about it and i think that's the key my kids are young they have really short attention spans i have um adhd and for me things have to be novel and they have to be new and they have to be exciting to hold my attention and that is exactly why i got into birding because it's something different every single time Here's a silly question. If you could be any bird for the day, what would you be? Oh, definitely a gold crest. <laughs> Why? Because they're small and cute. <laughs> and they're gold. Yeah. Do you remember when you first saw a gold crest? Yeah, that was at Mins Mill. And where was it? In the hedges. Yeah. In the car park. <laughs> it was in the car park, wasn't it? We'd been all around the reserve, hadn't we? And just at the end. And you wanted to see one, didn't you? Really bad. And at least we did. You don't have to live in a rural area to be sort of into nature and engaged with nature. I mean, I live in the middle of a town and I'm looking out of my window and I can see nesting sparrows. There's a dunnock just flew past. If I look up um, in the in the sort of early evening at the minute at this time of year, I can see the swifts flying over and hear them and it's just beautiful. We have this image of being involved in nature has to be in the rural setting when you absolutely don't. There's so much wildlife in cities and so much wildlife in towns. And whether you have a massive garden or whether you're on a balcony, if you can use your senses, if you can see the birds, if you can hear the birds, if you can smell the freshly cut grass in your local park, then that is enough. You don't have to be in the middle of a forest or in the middle of a woodland. You don't have to be in rural areas. Do you have a favourite bird? Yes. What's your favourite bird? It's a blue bird? tit. A blue tit? Yeah. How, why? Uh, I don't know. They just look cool. Yeah? Once I saw one in school. Did you? Yeah. When I was inside the classroom. Did you say to your friends? Nah. 
No. The teachers talk and you're not allowed to talk when the teachers talk. <laughs> Even about birds? Yeah. <laughs> if you happen to live somewhere where you don't have a garden, for example, there's plenty of ways that you can attract wildlife to your space to your and make your space a wild space. There are plenty of these window feeders that you just stick to your window with little suction pads, fill them with seeds. And that is a great activity for kids, you know, to just be able to sit in your living room and just see what comes to your window when you put different food in the feeder. How about getting some window boxes if you live in a flat? If you're allowed to have window boxes on the outside of your windows or on your balcony, fill them with native flowers that are great for pollinator species and just see what comes to them. If you put them there, the wildlife will come to them. If you have a garden, simple things, it doesn't matter how big it is, it doesn't matter if it's a little courtyard or a great big rolling lawn, you can install bird feeders, bird baths. How about getting some bird boxes on the side of your house? Swift boxes are incredible to, to provide a red-listed species with a place to nest as we sort of encroach on their habitat. To be able to provide them with a safe place to raise their families is just so important and such an incredible way to get the kids not only involved in what is there already, but getting them excited about what they can bring themselves. Imagine, right? Imagine you've got a machine that can translate birdsong into English, what do you think the sparrows in the hedge would be saying? I was going to say, give me more food, give me. <laughs> I need more food. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. More food for what, their babies? Yeah. When I first got back into sort of connecting with nature, I felt that I perhaps didn't have enough knowledge. I felt like maybe a bit of an imposter going out onto nature reserves. And I know there's a lot of parents out there who probably feel the same. I speak to them at the school gates, you know, that they, they always say they, they'd like to get out there and sort of start exploring with their kids, but perhaps feel it's not for them. Whereas I think it's really important to stress that it is absolutely for you. We are a part of nature. The natural world is part of us. We are part of it. And by just being in it and learning about it and understanding your environment, I think that's enough for me. So I'm a qualified doula. A bit like being a midwife for those that don't know, but not medical. So you're not medically trained, but you are more of a support system, I'll say, and you offer advice to the person that's pregnant. I was inspired to become a doula because of my journey with Zori. I knew I was pregnant within two weeks because I know my body so well. And when I was doing my research, what I came across, I was even surprised myself. And a lot of the things we don't learn in school or in places, and I thought to myself, why not be my own doula? I looked for courses and stuff, and I managed to secure a place. I just wanted a lot of women to get that opportunity to have that support and have a better understanding of their bodies, because that's something I feel like we don't have. I did a lotus birth with Zori, which is essentially where you don't cut the umbilical cord. So Zori was attached to his placenta for five days and it fell off naturally. And that in itself was 
a completely unheard thing for many people, including the paramedics that came because I had a birth before arrival, as they say, which means I gave birth before anyone, any health professional or, you know, was there. And for me, my own birth story in itself made me think of parenting in a whole different way and I, I planned to have a home birth for instance I wanted to be in my own environment even my birth experience I went into the dark for instance and kind of just followed my body rather than being instructed or feeling pressured to give birth in a way that I didn't feel comfortable in doing so it was very natural and very profound I'd say the whole experience. So when did you first get interested in Falcons? I got interested in the late 90s. The first webcams started to appear. They were not really as sophisticated as they are now because a lot of them were actually just images that were refreshing every second or two seconds. So I started watching those and then I got absolutely hooked uh, on the peregrines and I used to um, look at the uh, the hospital thinking that it would be an absolutely ideal spot for peregrines and then finally one arrived I thought it would be just passing uh, but uh, no, she was there to stay and she was there for about two, 12 and a half years Wow Is that how long they tend to stay in one place? Like uh, in terms of nesting? If they can, they'll stay the whole life, their whole life. They, they're very faithful to their side. They will defend their side, their territory. So what is the process of mating, nesting? So they start courting around the, uh, the start of the year. Uh, here they start mating around mid-February. Um, mid so generally, how many of them are born? On average, peregrine uh, lay four eggs more or less the same size as a chicken egg you you know you get in the supermarket it's just a slightly rounder and it's a bright red color they have to keep the eggs warm so they wait uh, until all the eggs are laid uh, before they start incubating so that all the chicks hatch uh, at the same time and so they are always uh, about the same age when they uh, grow so there is no big rivalry between the chicks like in owls, for example, or in eagles, where um, younger chicks are there more as a sacrificial uh, food for their uh, bigger and older siblings. Oh, wow. So uh, the parents brood them until they're about 10 days old. And at 10 days old is when they start thermal regulating and the parent can't stop being you know, on them 24-7. Uh, so then at that time, the mum starts hunting again. Uh, so then they get uh, even bigger and they start with a lot of down and then the feathers come up. The peregrine youngsters, actually, the feathers are slightly longer uh, than the adults, uh, so that gives them uh, a little bit more stability. Yeah, and then they start venturing out. My experience giving birth to Zuri seems completely different to what a bird like the peregrine might go through. But actually, when it comes to having and raising our young, we have more in common with birds than you may realise. When you start to look at behaviour, we're really a very unusual mammal. And there's quite a lot of things that we do that um, look a lot more like the average bird than they do like the average mammal. 
Antone Martino Truswell is a biologist at the University of Sydney. He recently wrote a book called The Parrot in the Mirror, How Evolving to Be Like Birds Made Us Human. So what are the similarities between human childbirth uh, that's painful and physically traumatic and a bit dangerous to the hatching of an egg where it happens external to the mother, seems to be painless, egg incubation is pretty short. So you'd think that these were the, you know, the two furthest things in the world. But what's interesting about human pregnancy is that it's actually a case of having some of the constraints that a bird faces when laying an egg. So for most mammals, you can spend a long time being pregnant and getting your baby very well developed. And this is why animals like elephants or horses, when we see their one-day-old baby, it's ready to stand on all fours, feed itself, walk around a bit, follow its mother. It's a pretty capable baby. What mammals are doing is taking advantage of the fact that there's basically not really a physical limit on how developed they can get their baby, and then they have a pretty easy time looking after it. Birds don't have that option. Unlike pregnancy, you have to give that offspring all of the energy it will need to develop all at once when you lay the egg. If you're going to be an intelligent bird with a highly developed brain, that one month of development time in the egg, which is all you can afford by laying all of your energy into the egg at once, is not going to give you enough time to fully develop your offspring. So bird babies in most species hatch out pink, naked, eyes closed, not even able to feed themselves and need constant parental care all the time. Human babies, very similarly, we stand upright, we have narrow hips, the baby cannot get that big, particularly its head cannot get that big before we have to birth it for safety reasons. So bringing that all together, what you have is that even though laying an egg and hatching versus a long human pregnancy and difficult childbirth look so different, they're responding to the same constraints, which is that you have a baby that's going to need a lot of time to develop its very sophisticated brain. The pregnancy or the egg is not enough time to do that, and you can't have a bigger baby or a bigger egg for physical reasons. So in both humans and most birds, you have a very long, underdeveloped childhood where you need parents to look after that baby. So I, I began the book before I had had my first daughter. And while I think I had a theoretical understanding of the huge amount of work that it takes to, to raise a human baby, having that come into my own home and experience uh, the raising of a, an infant human myself really, really did help me to empathize with parents. And, you know, I can only empathize with mothers to a certain degree, but it, it really, you know, clarified for me looking after uh, a baby that is born pink, naked, unable to feed itself, unable to move around by itself, unable to do much of anything, is an enormous amount of work. It's an evolutionarily dangerous amount of work if you're living in a pre-modern situation, if you're in the state of nature, if you will. Um, and in the modern world, you know, we now have other means of uh, assisting people in, in looking after their children. And that, that's, that's part of a response to just how helpless and how much work our children are. Peregrine falcons, how have they adapted to the urban environment? Two things, mostly. Is one, we've been building um, tall buildings, which are like cliffs for them. And uh, second, uh, their favourite prey, which is feral pigeons, 
is abandoned. So for them, they've got lodging and food. Is there something around height and falcons? That helps them to um, check their territory for intruders and to uh, uh, see their food from a long distance. Their eyes are absolutely amazing because it's almost like you've got binoculars like this. It's like you're watching at the same time with your eye and the binocular. They can adapt and see everything at the same time, the uh, the close thing and the distance. Like Built-in zoom. <laughs> Built-in zoom. And that's also uh, why when you look at uh, young peregrines, when they, when they start, there's a lot of this head-bobbing thing uh, because they need to learn how to, uh, you know, judge distances and uh, learn how to use their uh, uh, their eyesight. So, you've been watching a lot of these falcons raise their young for quite some time now. How are they like parents? Oh, good question. Um, I'd say peregrine parents are actually very, very good parents. They're very attentive. They're very good at uh, making sure that all the chicks uh, get the same amount of food, uh, or at least are full. Uh, they will teach them how to hunt. They, they spend a lot of time uh, flying with them, and they spend a lot of time playing with the chick. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I've learned so much. Wow, like, I actually could speak to you all day about this. You're and... welcome to come back at any time. I'm, I'll be here pretty much every evening and every weekend. been listening to Get Burden, a peanut and crumb production presented by me, Kusio, also known as City Girl in Nature. Get Burden Series 3 is sponsored by Canada Water, imagining a new district for central London. My producers for this episode were Anand Jagatia and Jesse Lawson. In a bit. <laughs>